0: Well, now that we finally got the, the recording going, we can resume my hot take. The AFL-CIO is the OSHA of unions.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's correct. On multiple levels. <laughs> it's yeah. the take that, that gets better the more you think about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's just so many, so many things about it that are parallels, whether it be like, oh, this is supposed to protect workers, or, uh, oh, this has uh, been co-opted by years and years of liberalism.
0: Oh, this is an arm of the CIA. I'm just (laughs) kidding. I don't know that OSHA is an arm of the CIA.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. (laughs) Let's not sully OSHA with that.
0: (laughs) Let's let's place blame where it's due. hmm? Yeah, so so
1: so far as I know, OSHA hasn't been involved in overthrowing multiple governments, so you know I don't want to put that on them.
0: (laughs) You know, OSHA contains three of the same letters as oas <laughs> i'm just saying
2: <laughs> damn oh my gosh yes yeah, so while we're going over all of our takes from the year we're actually going to be cutting together a joke reel of all of our hottest <laughs> jokes that's right good, and they're going to be out of context and not funny
0: <laughs> that's how my just, jokes usually end up as far as <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. ju- just
2: like they were originally <laughs>
0: Yeah. Welcome to Work Stoppage, everybody. A show that is 100% pure comedy gold and nothing else. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> Your favorite comedy podcast. It's all takes all the time. We're going to start throwing on a fucking soundboard here. We're uh, into 2022. We're transitioning <laughs> to the shock jock. Model, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, we're
0: changing our name to be more in line with like... 2016 slash seventeen podcasting back during the scenes kind of infancy. So we're changing our name from work stoppage to Labor Town.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh man. That would
0: suck. (laughs) What a yeah, what a bunch of dog shit. Who let all of these podcasts go around and being like, we're a podcast about playing, you know, backgammon It's Beckham in in town. Like, go go (laughs) fuck yourself. (laughs) But anyway, thank you so much for tuning into Work Stoppage. We are entirely listener-supported. So any support you throw us on the Patreon is so greatly appreciated. Uh, When you support the show, you do also get access to all of our bonus content, which... I think it's pretty good. So check it out. We just put uh, out a
2: new one. Yeah, Yeah. we just
0: put out a new one. We're starting a new series uh, where we go over what the intelligence agencies have been up to for longer than all of our lives, probably. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Including up to today. And if you want to hear the the white-knuckle play-by-play edge of your seat as Dan uh, basically live tweets the books he's reading, hop into the various <laughs> discords because that's where the, the hot uh, anti-imperialism action is. And if you could please leave us a review wherever you think it would help, uh, just go ahead and boot up your Xbox 360 and try to punch in the Konami code. I, I think it'll really help boost the show. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so we're just going to get into it. This is kind of our retrospective episode and looking up, looking back over the course of the year, you know, it'll be new Year's soon for those of you who celebrate, uh- <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I want to like find the person who's like conscientiously objecting to celebrating New Year's. It's like the one not actually I still follow the US revolutionary
2: holiday. calendar of 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 France. You know? <laughs> <It's>, like, <laughs> yeah, like what what day of Thermidor
0: is it? There's probably like one like Posadist out there who's like New Year's <laughs> is actually an Abrahamic you know, oh, plot to no, no, overthrow socialism <laughs> No, I know
1: how you could do it It's because it's it's the tyranny of the measurement of time mm. which which was only mm. imposed on us to regulate class society and therefore uh, we shouldn't be measuring years. <laughs> do you
2: know who uses clocks? Your boss. Your boss uses <laughs> clocks to oppress you how about, how about we get rid of them?
0: I mean, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was Was a semi viral like Twitter anarchist tweet that was something along the lines of like, once we establish you know horizontal socialism we will abolish calendars <laughs> and I was like I don't know that that's true
1: <laughs> yeah well it's like the thing where like units of measurement are fascist or something yeah yeah
0: I think that's what it was <laughs> where it's like what's really an inch Himmler <laughs> to be fair the imperial system is literally called the imperial system so maybe there's something there
1: <laughs> yeah no I mean it's funny because there's always like a well meaning thought there that sure. is just taken to the point of sheer absurdity, Um, (laughs) but yeah. So we figured for the last episode of the calendar year, 2021, uh, partially, you know, in a time period where most of the labor press is on vacation and not putting out a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, it would also be a good time to, you know, look back on what we talked about this year because like, look at what's been going on in the labor movement. Like what were the general trends? Mm -hmm. Like what was the big stuff that really, you know, emerged during the, tumultuous shitty year that was supposed to be the end of the pandemic and extremely was not
0: <laughs> think about it this way every day is the start of the rest of your pandemic
1: <laughs> yeah i think biden just tweeted that um like oh gosh but yeah. yeah i mean obviously you know everybody tends to do like either a clip show or a retrospective or a recap at the end of the year we're no different well, mo- yeah no and, yeah. and we yeah. are we're absolutely not above that, as you will see for this episode, but work also just
0: partnering with Tosh. Oh. <laughs> yeah,
1: this is this is work. Stop. This is your work. Stoppage unwrapped for twenty twenty one work. Where, stoppage, you know.
0: I love the twenty twenty one.
1: Part of it is just like, you know, if we want to be able to predict what's going to happen in the labor movement next year, if we want to learn Mm -hmm. from all of the struggles of folks that we've talked about, you know, on the show this year, it's a good opportunity to look back and do a recap and and really find what some of the bigger trends were to try and forecast what will be some of the bigger ones next year.
2: Well, and I'm going to let you guess we're going to take a small uh, like two seconds to pause and I'm going to let you guess what our first topic is. That's right. It's Amazon. There is- <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I literally really couldn't, I couldn't think of something that wasn't Amazon in two seconds. Otherwise that <laughs> whole bit would have been much funnier.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously we talked about Amazon a ton this year because you know as the since the pandemic started they've basically become the biggest company in America. I know mm-hmm. technically Walmart still has more employees but eh, like blah, blah, blah.
0: America's economy is still technically bigger than China's but it's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh I mean we're going to cover a bunch of the like key things that we talked about, you know, regarding organizing at Amazon, but just if folks want to go back and and hear more in detail some of the stories that we talked about Uh, episodes 34, 35, 44, 47, 49, 76, 79, and 80 are some of the um, ones that more in particular focus on organizing efforts at Amazon. That's right. We
0: do run ads on this show, but only for our own show.
2: That's (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we're going to go over just some of the the really big points. Uh, It's the fact that, we have seen a lot more organizing at amazon i mean Mm -hmm. we're a little uh at the when we first started this show we were starting to see a light uptick in labor actions and then uh into 2021 we we got Mm besmer and we got the uh you know a couple things actually let's let's just start at the top of our list (laughs) well i think in the very
0: earliest uh, days of this show lena i actually remember us having a conversation on mike about how like we weren't sure that amazon was ever gonna get unionized but it would be nice (laughs) and like here we are are so much later you know
2: <laughs> yeah uh the first thing we're gonna go back to and talk about is the uh 60 million dollars in tips that amazon had stolen mm-hmm. from its flex drivers and uh in i guess in our estimation that's a conservative estimate mm-hmm. but um it was what was awarded to the amazon flex drivers uh due to five years uh, of wage theft and in, in this particular form of wage theft which, also was company accompanying with uh, the uh, the news that the injury rate at uh, warehouses in or at Amazon warehouses is twice the national average. Yep. Yeah. And uh, all sorts of other terrible conditions like the uh, having to you know pee in bottles and uh, I guess with yeah the Amazon booths is in this one. I mean he can and then mega cycle the one a.m. to eleven a.m. Fucking 10, 10 hour shifts during the worst time of the night mm-hmm. in order to attempt to make work conditions worse, I guess
0: yeah well, and just to extend everything, I mean, Amazon really pulled out all the stops in terms of not just like union busting and resisting uh labor movements this year, but also like worsening the conditions that make these kinds of things necessary because the the entire pandemic for Amazon has just been an intensification of production yeah. at the expense of health and safety and people's lives
1: well, and yeah, like one of the things as I was going back over just all the times we've talked about Amazon this year, like it, I think it was totally fair for for you to wonder, you know, considering the state of organized labor in the U.S., if Amazon ever would get organized because, you know, we haven't really mm-hmm. seen much success at, at Walmart, previous, uh, you know, dominating corporation in the U.S. But with all this stuff, Amazon has just piled on and piled on the the shit that they're putting their workers through. Like the 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 stuff that Amazon workers face on a day-to-day basis as far as horrific working conditions just seems to get compounded by the week. And so I think it, it really, I mean, just from the pure material condition side of things, made organizing inevitable. Right. Like, uh, I mean, especially the one that always stood out to me, like the megacycle shift was really bad. But the fucking Amazon booths thing yes. is yeah. just so dystopian. Like we're giving you a scream booth. So that you can go in here and cry about how horrific your working conditions are, and nobody else has to see that, and it might di- like disrupt their
0: productivity. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, I wonder, a, it's such I w- a weird concept. I wonder.
2: I wonder if any of the workers actually have used it as a literal screaming booth to like, I mean, like to actually go in there and just just try to be heard outside of the booth.
1: I would think so. I mean, I'm not going to go in there and actually do the fucking mindfulness argue, or, or exercises they say they, they provide. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the kind but, of shit where it's like you're on the floor and you're like manager theatrically exits the Amazon booth trying to pretend like they just like achieved nirvana right and we're just like wow that was so great you guys you know anytime you have a legitimate grievance with me or anyone else try <laughs> sitting on your ass for three minutes instead it's just like it's such a stupid uh diversion of people's like you know discomfort and rage at work it's like why don't you go sit in this porta potty without a toilet in it uh <laughs> instead <Yeah. laughs>
1: Exactly. I mean, considering what we've heard about the conditions there, I mean, the workers are probably closer during their working hours to one of these stupid booths than they are to an actual bathroom, an actual, you know, useful part
2: of the warehouse. What we're
0: saying is take a shit in the Amazon booth.
2: (laughs) Yes. Don't let them stop you. Absolutely. They can't. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Have you guys actually looked at a photo of this Amazon booth? It's got like a a heavy it's got a heavy metal door similar to like a a, like a what do they call them like the the strip malls. They got like the slightly heavier metal doors for all of the stores there. Uh, It's one of those in a literal like like phone booth size box that is literally it looks like it's made out of, of plywood and covered in propaganda mindful practice room
0: yeah it's like a cross between the suicide booth from futurama and that box that that joe guy keeps people in in that show that's called you you ever seen that (laughs) where he keeps people in a box well it looks like this Well, well i mean
1: and so with all of that piled on top of amazon workers it was no surprise really i guess that we finally saw a real substantive Mm-hmm. Organizing efforts at Amazon this year, the 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 big one that was definitely like one of the biggest stories we covered all year, and and it continues to be, <laughs> uh, of course, is the the Amazon drive, mm-hmm. the the drive by the w- RWDSU for the first official UN- NLRB union election at an Amazon facility in the United States uh, in Bessemer, Alabama, wherein Amazon threw the fucking uh, labor uh, anti labor you know book the at them. Yeah. yeah, they they pulled out they, you know, hired outside consultants. They had massive anti-union propaganda, which extended to like fucking you know, in, in addition to the posters and the handout, like uh, clothing and pins and stuff that you see at all sorts of places. They were putting up fucking billboards, giant banners. They were even sending anti-union messages to workers via the app that they're required to have, mm-hmm. like for work. On the phones that they confiscate and scan, right. <laughs> yeah, like you know, captive captive audience meetings, as everybody uses. To the some of the more extreme actions that we reported on, like change, have we having the police in Bessemer change the timing of the stoplights near the workshop, well, the the warehouse, so that workers who are trying to organize outside the gate would not be able to talk to workers who are stopped at
2: that light. Oh, my gosh. You know, I was uh, at the weed store the other day, and I heard the workers complaining about how because their place is new and at the light that basically the shop goes almost directly to a light, Mm -hmm. they said that the light does not change for them. And so sometimes they have to go through red lights just to be able to turn (sighs) left or go straight. And I was like, if Amazon can fucking get the government to change the lights so that they can bust unions, you should be able to get them to change the fuck. Light So that people don't have to go through a fucking red light.
0: Yeah, so you can drive home safely. Absolutely. Also, I mean, we're not talking about weed stores right now, but that weed store, the people who run it have kind of a psycho vibe to me. And the people who work <laughs> at it seem perfectly nice. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I feel like
2: that's probably a lot of weed stores. Yeah, yeah. fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. And so,
1: but then there was the other Uh, thing that is the one thing that seemed to have sort of screwed over Amazon a little bit in this case, which was they them being so brazen as to install their own USPS mailbox on their own property in like an Amazon tent with a security camera pointed at it. Uh, intent like telling people to mail their ballots there, and so I mean, as everybody is aware, like uh, the RWDSU did end up losing the election. And you know there was a whole bunch of reasons for that, in addition to the you know
2: the the union busting campaign.
1: There's also issues like all
2: the way into that. Go back to the episode if you want the super deep dive on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we did an entire episode on as a
1: look at a deep dive, looking back on the uh, the whole election. But a couple of the things that we've we've seen that other forces have also faced organizing at Amazon is the fact that their turnover rate is so high. Mm -hmm. You know they they purposefully maintain a turnover rate of over 100 percent with their like, algorithmic firings of people they deem to be less productive, which, of course, just makes organizing that much harder. They also had Amazon try and, and succeed in getting their bargaining unit size ballooned to its maximum theoretical point so that instead of organizing what they thought would be 5,000 workers, you know, the actual number of people that work at the facility, they had to go with a or, bargaining unit of over 9,000 people, which just you know, is a, is an enormous, uh, hurdle for, for any union drive to clear. And then more specifically in the area that this was going on in Bessemer, you had the issue where, and you see this in a lot of places in the U S that have really low minimum wages where Amazon's $15 minimum wage, while it is dragging down conditions in the warehouse industry Mm-hmm. is unfortunately still better than a lot of the other places that you can get a job in one of these states that has a criminally low minimum wage of like the federal minimum of like seven, what is it, 7.25? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. to still. be fair, that's also <laughs> that's partly because companies like Walmart have already gone and gutted the wage for retail workers right. over the course yes. of decades like Amazon is now trying to do for logistical and warehouse workers.
1: Yeah, yeah. and so there was a whole myriad of all these issues that made it very mm-hmm. difficult and for the RWDSU to win the election but even with the victory that Amazon won that wasn't at the end of the story because they went so far and so brazen in their insane you know anti-union campaign that even the like pretty business friendly yeah NLRB was like all right this is a this is a little bit too much with right. putting the mailbox on your own facility with you, one of your own security cameras pointed at it. That's uh that's a, that's a step too far for us. And so despite the, the unfortunate loss and despite the very uphill battle that the RWDSU is going to have to climb, they are getting a chance to rerun the election because of Amazon's illegal tampering. So that'll be, you know, obviously one of the things we're going to be watching for next year. And, and, we don't want to get our hopes up too much because the history is definitely against them. there be the, the, the right. vast majority of these sorts of rerun elections do still fail, but yeah. there's a, there's a ton of momentum, you know, in looking to try and get Amazon organized. So it's going to be a big fight.
2: I wanted to just bring something, cause maybe you're sending this to your, you know, your person who's not as into labor because this is the ra- the roundup, you know, I mean, this is the easy one to send to people. Mm-hmm. I, the, when we say business friendly NLRB, we mean like since the since Amazon did this insane union busting stuff, we our our thing would be like, oh, the organizers should be allowed in the shop to actually go and schedule time to meet with everyone, just like you know, there's all these captive audience meetings which the mm-hmm. company does. I mean, like if they really wanted to make it fairer, they could actually allow the union to talk directly with all of these workers in a in a in a more con- like. A loud fashion, rather than like what we were saying, they were having to talk to people at stoplights and right. and that's and that sort of thing. So yeah.
1: yeah, and so I mean, honestly, I think when you tamper that much with the election, it should just go automatically in the union's favor. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, w- realistically, I don't think we're ever going to get something like that out of the United States Labor Relations Board. Um, but so, despite you know the issues with with the Amazon drive. There have also been smaller independent organizing efforts at Amazon facilities around the country. Uh, Specifically, we had things like Amazonians United, which is a solidarity union, which is a little bit less focused on the traditional NLRB, uh, you know, Wagner Act style uh, official election. They're focused on organizing on the shop floor and and organizing things like what just very recently happened where they had a walkout. At a couple of the uh, biggest Amazon facilities uh, in Chicago, uh, demanding access to higher pay, safe staffing, and an end to those horrific mega cycle shifts that we mentioned, and they've also you know fought to shut down the warehouses in Chicago uh, during like summer heat waves when they didn't have access to AC. So that's been you know one of the alternative models that we've seen right. for this yeah, sort I did of work. That there's
2: actually a little there was uh, a, a minor concession that was was it that. The Amazon offered dental to To the workers or something like that after the the protest or something. Maybe I'm not. I should I should look that up before I start saying it on the on the pod. But I feel like I saw something like that. Like there was a minor concession because of the walkout. Um, maybe <laughs> I don't I don't remember
1: seeing that, but it might I'll have to been. follow up on that next time. And then we also saw in New York the Amazon Labor Union. You know, a, a small independent labor union that is going the NLRB route, uh, specifically led by uh, organizer Christian Smalls, who is a worker who was fired early on in the pandemic for leading a walkout in protest of the lack of COVID safety protocols. And so- that was like a year and a half ago now at this point. And in that time, he's been working with other organizers at the, the JFK eight facility on Staten Island to slowly build up that process, having like barbecues outside the facility, meet, providing food, meeting with people, talking to folks at the bus stops, you know, all the sorts of things that you do to build up your union mm-hmm. and slowly getting those signed union cards and working towards submission for like an actual, you know, NLRB election. And and so that's going to be another big one to watch. They've recently over the past month been really ramping up. They've, they've, they've done like protests outside of one of Jeff Bezos's mansions in Manhattan. They did a big speak out in times square. So like the, there's a whole bunch of different like fronts on the, the fight against Amazon. And we haven't even got into, you know, the fact that the teamsters who now have a, a, a new uh, you know, more, more fighty, uh, leadership have, have made it their top priority over the next several, you know, really probably the next decade to, to try and organize Amazon. So there's now a, a big multi prong movement of a whole bunch of different styles of tactics that are coming at this. So I think mm-hmm. 2022 is going to be a real interesting year as far as, as, as seeing Amazon get organized. And I, yeah. I think that we will at least at the very least see some victories in North America. Right. I don't know if I'll go so far as to say, I'm hundred percent sure we'll get a win at a warehouse in the U S but I know the teamsters are starting their efforts in Canada and, and I think there's a pretty good chance they're going to get some wins there. Nice. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. We're, I mean, uh, hoping. I almost thought you were kind of saying like, uh, we might see some advancements in North America, But don't hold out hope for a truly anti-imperialist Teamsters anytime soon, (laughs) which is not an attack you took, but I think it's also true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I I would go with that, too, unfortunately. Yeah, well, and then uh, getting getting away from Amazon, we're going to move to our next little uh, thing that we've been hammering on this year, which is our favorite organization there to protect workers and make sure that you're safe while at work, OSHA, and uh, how it's done every single thing it could. Wait, nope, that's not what my notes say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, Lena, that's not...
1: That's not what the, you know, you're reading different notes.
0: We need one of those, like, uh, you know how, like, car guys will be like, you know, a Fiat stands for fix it again, Tony. We need something like that for OSHA. Like, you know, OSHA means uh, not showing up to help at all, but it matches the letters, right? Like something snappier than that, probably.
2: Yeah. Yeah, hit us in the Discord with your suggestions on that yeah, one. Yeah, if you got a
0: funny but, <laughs> anagram or whatever it's called, acronym.
2: Yeah, uh, so we're, we've gone over many, many different cases of why OSHA, the organization designed to make uh, dangerous workplace conditions much safer, has uh, done very little to actually accomplish that task. Uh, in February, we discussed a liquid nitrogen leak at a food processing plant in Georgia where six workers were killed. Uh, OSHA had previously investigated complaints of several types of of hazardous conditions at this plant uh or at least the plants owned by the parent company foundation food group uh but they had only issued fines of $12,000 or less uh basically meaning that people's lives are really not worth that much
1: yeah and even after this Horrific because so the previous incidents they'd been fined for were minor accidents like a guy's hand getting sucked into a meat grinder and losing several fingers, mm-hmm. and totally like minor. people be, yeah, other incidences of people being maimed where the company was only fined in the single digit thousands of dollars. And even in the case of this, where six people lost their lives because of the negligence of this company and the various contractors involved they st- OSHA still only find the company $600,000 and the contractors that were involved in the lines installation f- uh, combined $400,000. So like to put this in perspective, like I know $600,000 seems like maybe it seems like a lot of money depending on if you've, you know, followed our show for this, right. but like foundation food group makes over $200 million a year. So a $600,000 fine to them is a rounding error. Like yeah. what, it, what that's not going to force them to change anything. They have no material incentive to change anything about what they're doing. And, and we've seen this exact same thor- sort of thing all throughout the time we've been doing the show. Like b- one thing that has been become monumentally clear over the last two years Is that despite OSHA supposedly protecting us against dangerous working conditions, has no intention of doing anything about COVID. Like, you know, one of the biggest workplace dangers anybody faces right now is, you know, this infectious disease that we have very specific, you know, measures that can be taken to keep people safe against. But like... Over the first seven months of the pandemic, we f- we learned that OSHA only fined businesses across the entire country a total of $1 million, and that was across 85 companies. So I believe it averaged out to about $14,000 a company for fines related to you know uh, COVID workplace
0: protection. It's not even a slap on the wrist. It's like a suggestion that I might slap you on the wrist.
1: Yeah, and- like the we we reported on a on an especially egregious case of this in June, when we learned about a case in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. where there was a green bean facility owned by the company Seneca Farms that primarily relies on migrant labor. And during the height, of, I mean, I keep, I keep using this phrase during the height of the pandemic, but I think during the height of the pandemic is right now.
0: So <laughs> during I mean, it's the probably last not- During the height of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, during
1: a previous surge in 2020, uh, like they were keeping workers in cramped- barracks-type housing. Uh, They were not providing testing. They were not doing any contact tracing. They were not informing workers when other members of their work team tested positive. And then, when folks did test positive, they just packed people onto full buses and sent them back to, you know, whichever country they had migrated here from on their work visa. And as a result, at least 11 workers died at this facility to produce fucking green beans, and the company was fined Less than $5,000. 4900 bucks for the deaths of 11 migrant workers. Like, yeah,
2: and if you go back and listen to that particular episode, it's pretty emotional. But the short version is, is that after this company was done with these workers, it put them on buses with COVID mm-hmm. uh, and then sent them on a trip across the country on a bus with COVID where, like, these brothers died. And they, you could listen to the episode. But, mm. yeah. But—
1: so yeah, like we know 11 people died from that case, but considering the fact that they were almost intentionally sp- turning it into a super spreader event, I'm sure it was the death toll was actually quite a bit higher. And, and and speaking of super spreaders, we also saw a case in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where Smithfield, who is, you know, one of the biggest pork processors in the world, where they were actually bragging about the fact that half of their workforce got COVID because they were claiming it was proof that their testing program was good, that they knew about that.
0: Right. Oh my
1: gosh. And at least four of their workers died. And again, OSHA only fined the company $13,000. And part of the punishment was the company had to put together a panel to recommend new safety guidelines. But the company got to pick who was on the panel. So, like it's a completely fake punishment the workers had no involvement whatsoever in in these changes
2: yeah and then uh with as as you know uh were to to point out that you know the the democrats have done uh nearly nothing to actually uh, do anything about this. I mean, this goes back to when uh, Joe Biden had originally campaigned on putting strong OSHA guidelines to actually protect workers from COVID. uh, And then later didn't do that and only put in the precautions for healthcare workers which it's good to protect healthcare workers but all workers need protection so that healthcare workers can be protected yes. i mean if they if the if the healthcare industry is being overrun by people with covid that does not actually make things safer for the healthcare workers uh and and i think uh we ha- i don't have the details on what joe biden said recently but basically he's con- committing to doing fucking nothing and uh, I don't know, uh, our predictions are that uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, Republican wins in the next uh, election cycle, for sure.
0: Well, and, you know, it uh, doesn't even matter if Republicans or Democrats win because they never help contribute more money to or more stringent yeah. regulation well, by bodies like OSHA or FEMA or basically anything that's like there's something wrong. Let's fix it. Though th- you It's know. more...
2: To I think it's more to the point that they claim to be the people who care or do something, and then they don't, and then they lose, and they're like, "Why do we lose?" (laughs) Well, they blame people
1: like us as you know the the left is 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 getting people not to vote for us just because we didn't do any of the things we said we would do. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I mean, probably the most, uh, may well I don't know, maybe the most egregious example. There's a lot of egregious examples of like. Just the horrific working conditions that the working class faces here uh, in this country and how little protection any of us really have on the job site was the story from just a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago that was one of the most difficult stories that we've talked about all year, which was the uh, folks who were killed during that tornado system that went through a bunch of states and specifically destroyed an Amazon warehouse in Illinois and a candle factory in Kentucky, which has now resulted in a 15... Uh, worker deaths because one worker has uh, died actually since our uh, reporting when these workers at these facilities were not allowed to leave during a tornado uh, because they were told if they did, they would be fired. And of course, you know, there's been a letter sent with concerns by like, I think like members of the national progressive caucus Mm -hmm. about the fact that Amazon and these other places didn't actually have, you know, safety plans and other companies ran tornado drills or even had shelters. Uh, and, and to, to any, but any regular person, it is clear that the blood of these workers is directly on the hands of these companies and they should be held accountable and brought to justice for these deaths that did not have to happen. But I mean, (laughs) With just with all the examples we just described, I can't see OSHA doing anything. And I mean, yeah. against a company like Amazon, they could find them twenty million dollars, well, and it would. I'm- do anything.
2: I think one detail in the Amazon story that like also really highlights how how especially egregious that particular one is is that though there were uh 90 people who as of uh December 15th that uh, died in the tornadoes, 80 of them were in Kentucky, which meant that 10 people in other states probably Illinois died, meaning that over half of the deaths from the tornado were because of Amazon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, oh, it's uh It's a really stark example of how like we cannot rely on these state bodies under capitalism to protect us or enforce any sort of workers protections. We still I mean, we still got to, you know, get out there and, and, and do mass struggle and fight for reforms. But we have to understand that it's ultimately it's workers organizations like unions, like you know, mass parties like socialist parties and, and organizations like that, mutual aid groups and, you know, societies like that, uh, that are, are, it's working class organizations that are really the only thing that are ever going to be able to enforce protections for workers because the capitalist state being run by the capitalists doesn't really care and only puts into place such measures that we, you know, make them do through mass struggle. Right.
0: And yeah. they, you know, it's been proven time and time again, if you pay attention to actions and results that they don't care, but they'll tell you they care. A lot of these companies <laughs> yeah. don't even try yeah. to hide it. Like there are plenty of sickly libertarian companies run by like weird Scrooge McDucks who would just shoot you in the face for a dollar and not think twice. But then like the, black rifle coffee, Sure, black <laughs> rifle coffee or, you know, fucking Walmart or whatever, but progressive companies, quote unquote, uh, such as e- No Evil Foods, so-called Colectivo, Starbucks, Voodoo Donuts, and the New York Times, which it's so funny to me that people could still call the New York yeah. Times progressive or whatever. it's yeah, very
2: funny. Oh, before we go way too into this, I did want to quick, uh the OSHA stories are episodes 34, 50, 53, 62, mm-hmm. 78 and 82 if you're going back to them and then uh, these ones we're going to be covering stories from 53, 54, 57, 58, 64, 66 and 83. It all happened but in anyway, one big back To Back to the New York Times, the most yeah. progressive newspaper of our, of our yeah. country.
1: Right. I, I wasn't sure whether to include them on here, but I do think people still think of them as like the liberal paper. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, we understand that doesn't actually mean pro-worker, but, right. you, you know, we got to think about the way that most people in the U.S. think about this well, stuff.
0: I think New York Times is like the standard bearer for people who still call themselves socially liberal, fiscally conservative. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> A hundred percent. The people whose politics haven't changed since 1992. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) But yeah, this was definitely when I was going back through the episode list and, you know, looking at some of the trends that we've covered this year, this was definitely one that stuck out was how labor organizing exposes these like companies that put forth this PR culture that they're like, you know, that they're worker-friendly, that they're progressive, that they care about society, and they're not just out there to make a buck. They're also out there to, you know, improve the world at the same time. Mm -hmm. But then, you start a union drive there, and ooh, suddenly they're pulling the exact same shit as every other company.
2: In our episode with the No Evil Foods uh, people, we go over some of the awful union-busting captive audience meetings, including there's a recording of one of those things where they basically are firing everyone and telling everybody to fuck off uh too bad so sad we don't actually care um and uh and yeah that that one was that one of the ones in particular just was
0: was no evil foods one of the ones where the bosses pretended to cry did we get some alligator tears on that one or am i misremembering
2: (laughs) almost certainly i mean i bet i bet uh i've seen it so many times
0: or crocodile tears, whatever people say. The, they kept doing the
1: whole thing where like, you know, this was really just, it was, it was a, a family project that, got, that grew, you know, faster than we could have ever imagined. And that's why we have to fire our entire production staff. Sorry, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. After forcing the, everyone who worked for the company to work, you know, constantly through the pandemic and not take any time off.
2: Right. This is food processing plant where people were were in covid in the most dangerous conditions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they were like, hey, we want a union so that we can actually like discuss the way that this is happening because it's affecting our lives very deeply. And they're like, oh, how about not that? How about you uh, die from covid or get fired or actually, you know what? You're all done. How about
0: you pull together? Right. (laughs) <laughs> you know, even though you yeah. have COVID <laughs> yeah. and help yeah. me so, meet this pallet quota or whatever. Cause wasn't that the big thing with, uh, evil foods especially was, um, yeah. like these pallet quotas.
1: Yeah. And then basically once they faced pushback from the workers, they were like, Hmm, perhaps it would be cheaper to subcontract yeah. the actual production. And so let's just jettison these people that we've, uh, told are going to have good careers out of this. Right. Yeah. Um, and we saw, you know, some similar bullshit with uh, Voodoo Donuts, who we were able to interview some of the uh, f- former workers mm-hmm. there from their, uh, you know, nascent union organization there, the Donut Workers United, who had really been organizing from some of the early conditions from the pandemic, but really ramped up during the heat wave last year, where it was getting over ninety degrees in the uh, bakery there. And to the point where it was just becoming dangerous to workers' health. And so the workers there led a walkout and and, and really basically began a strike action there. And and Voodoo just said, yeah, so – Yeah, you know how we told everybody we're this nice, you know, hip, trendy bakery. We're not allowed here like Dunkin' Donuts, all the big corporate (laughs) shops. Yeah. Oh, you decided you wanted to stand up for your right to not, you know, pass out and die in our bakery while working. Oh, you're fired. You're
0: fired. Hey, (laughs) get out. And take the everyone is welcome here sign with you on your way.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, the workers, this was another trend that definitely appeared. So the workers filed some of probably the most obvious unfair labor practice charges we've talked about mm-hmm. this year. It's like folks, uh, you know, protesting clearly unsafe working conditions and were obviously fired for that reason. Uh, and, and they did win their unfair labor practice charges, but it took six months for the process to unfold. And so by that time, the idea of, you know, the workers who had been fired going back to the job didn't really make a lot of sense. And so it's, it's good that the workers won that it's good that the workers were able to get their back pay. That's a victory and and also force the company to post up, you know, those NLRB, uh,
2: notices that not, basically,
1: yeah. yeah, we will not
2: we, you know mess with you. We will not surveil you. We will not this or that a uh, bunch of lies. You may not deface this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so obviously we hope that, you know, DWU is able to bounce back from this and, and, and use the momentum from winning that ULP charge to, to, you know, win some NLRB elections at voodoo locations, but it's so frustrating, like how slow the NLRB's processes on this because that works in favor of the company every single time. Right.
2: Well, and I think that one of the things to highlight is actually six months is pretty good for the NLRB, <laughs> Unfortunately. considering oh, yeah, yeah. many of the stories that we covered this year were two years prior, four years yeah. prior in some cases. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, if efficiency in the NLRB is six months, this is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, as
1: we mentioned, uh, the New York times, everybody's favorite liberal paper, uh, has actually been fighting, t- uh, two union drives, one of which was recently, uh, defeated them over the, you know, their stringent fight backs where, the folks at the wire cutter were able to win their union, uh, finally, which was excellent. Congratulations to them after they had staged a work stoppage over black Friday, trying to get folks to, you know, boycott using their website, which is the most, uh, popular time for it to be used during the year. I thought you were going to say the most popular
0: platform for their newspaper. uh, And I was like, no, print media (laughs) is (laughs) dead.
1: Yeah. Well, that's Speaking of that, I mean, you know, Obviously, I think we've talked about uh, organizing with the CWA, with the News Guild for journalists. Mm-hmm. That's been something that's been a, a trend for I don't know the last five years at least mm-hmm. uh, across a lot of media. As as you know, as you're saying, as with the death of print media and everything going online. But there's because of all that on you know the online focus of media now. There's an enormous segment of the workforce that has to actually make all that tech work. Right. And those folks don't necessarily get the same visibility as, you know, the people who have bylines. And and so the New York Times Tech Guild has been in the process of unionizing since April, but be- the New York Times has broken out all of the same anti-union playbook mm-hmm. that we've seen everywhere else. Captive audience meetings, trying to fuck with the bargaining unit, trying to basically doing the inverse of what Amazon did, where they're trying to split the bargaining unit and say that like people like project managers who you know work with every- all these other you know graphic designers and coders and programmers and all the people that make the New York Times website work, they're just saying, oh no no, no. those people can't be in your bargaining unit for whatever reason, that's definitely not that we've identified that some of the strongest organizers are in that group right, and we're right, using right. this to split apart the bargaining unit. No, no, no. How about Yeah,
2: it's cause well and I think it comes from them knowing that they're going to lose a little bit, at least somewhere. And so they yeah. want to compartmentalize the loss that they're going to take. Yeah. Well exactly.
0: I mean honestly if <laughs> I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do their their union drive or anything. I'll just tell you that if it was me and I was in a, a leadership position in that in that nascent organizing effort, I would simply turn off the data faucet until the New York <laughs> Times agreed how many people were in the bargaining unit that we said were in the bargaining unit.
1: <laughs> the digital version of throwing your sabot into the gears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: and when they come down, you know, and here's the great thing about that. You don't even have to strike. You can show up every day, collect a paycheck, and pretend to try to fix it knowing full well <laughs> what's causing it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just
1: like unplugging the right Ethernet cable and being like, damn, I don't know. I got to do some debugging. Well, yeah, and it's Shit. like,
0: prove I'm not working on this problem. You can't because <laughs> you don't have my knowledge and skills. <laughs> so. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. And I mean, one, one of the funnier aspects of that one was just the fact that New York Times' anti-union strategy was exposed When they accidentally CC'd one of the union organizers
0: on their internal (laughs) union
1: busting emails. So which was then, you know, immediately published in the rest of the press, which was very funny. So funny. yeah. But those folks, unfortunately, are still struggling for their union. So uh, hopefully we will be reporting in the future on a victory there. But yeah, it's the New York Times is uh, unfortunately not giving up the fight there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, and actually, on the note of not giving up the fight, we're going to move to our last two of this section, which is uh, two coffee situations. But first, by uh, one that we actually ended up cutting from the notes because it was too packed of an episode a couple times ago, which is the Collectivo yeah. workers, mm-hmm. and uh, and we mentioned that you know they've got this, you know, their name is Collectivo. And like, and I think we made fun of their dumb. Like, we're a family face, or their their we're a family um, about page, or we're just some guys who are sitting around a table thinking about coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're yeah. actually Animal Colectivo, and we're just four Canadians. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they basically the Collectivo has been filing, uh, like contestation after contestation with the NLRB to try and, uh, like contest these votes. Cause I mean, they did win their vote, but then back afterwards. April. Yeah, back in April. And, uh,. And so they're like, oh, well, we got to make sure the votes are valid. And uh, yeah, five months ago is when they started doing that. Mm-hmm. And Colectivo has not stopped putting bullshit up to uh, to try and stop this unionization from happening.
1: Yeah, like we've reported on how long it often takes, even after you win your unit election to getting your first contract. But the folks at Collectivo who won their election eight months ago now are still waiting for official certification because of the fact that the company keeps filing like challenges and motions that it knows it can't possibly win but with all with the effort of dragging this out so that you know you get more turnover you sap momentum and energy out of the organizing campaign so that you know, you either are able to kill the union drive effort mm-hmm. outright, or even if you're not, by the time the negotiations come around, you, you know, you've got some of your best organizers may have gotten frustrated or had life events and had to leave and go to other jobs. Yeah. And so well, and the businesses yeah, this,
0: know this, cause the CEOs and the CFOs are going to stay the CEOs right. and the CFOs for decades and turnover among the actual working people who need the organization, uh, take, you know, it's pretty fast sometimes depending yeah. on where you work. So, yeah,
1: but in a happier story about, you know, coffee organizing, one that we've been talking about a lot more recently has been the, the Starbucks workers United organizing campaign mm-hmm. where, which started in Buffalo and that's where the union elections have been held. But it's, it seems like every week there's more and more and more Starbucks across the country, launching these drives, which has been really, you know, inspiring to see. And Starbucks again it has has always been I I I know I know my co-hosts are very, much more familiar with this intimately than me but oh, as you great know one th-
2: company definitely was not yeah. you know highly abusive and and discriminating definitely not the worst job I've had even when facing a, th- a, a a like a million dollar union busting campaign at another workplace that was not as bad as working at Starbucks yes
0: yeah, th- it wasn't as bad as <laughs> Starbucks is the worst job Lena ever had, and she worked at McDonald's as a teenager. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I did. Damn. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so, like, these workers in Buffalo, as soon as they announced their intentions to unionize, were just hit with the full court press. Starbucks brought out, you know, uh, official enemies of the show, Littler Mendelssohn, mm-hmm. to uh, run their anti union campaign. They. We're bringing in managers from across the country to, like, be implanted at these stores and do constant surveillance. They were bringing in tons and tons of new people to churn the bargaining unit and flood the you know stores with people who may won't have you know been had the amount of time to acclimate and work with the organizers as much. They closed a couple of these stores, temp- quote unquote, temporarily. Right. And yet and they well and then they even flew in Howard Schultz to give like a mandatory pep rally where he compared like working at Starbucks to sharing a blanket with other people during the Holocaust. It was
0: really weird. Utterly deranged.
1: <laughs> and and yet they did all that, they spent all this money and still Two out of the three stores won their union elections. One of them is still, unfortunately, I, I think still as of this recording, still waiting its official certification, but it, you know, barring some bizarre legal shenanigans it, that should get certified relatively shortly. And so that resulted in, you know, the two first successful union elections at a corporate run Starbucks in the U S and, since then we've seen, you know, there's there's more stores in Buffalo that are are going through union drives. We've got stores in Boston, Knoxville, Seattle and Mesa Arizona all launching their own union drives. So Starbucks Workers United has definitely been, you know, one of the big uh positive stories I think of
0: the year. Absolutely. And it's really great to see uh like these monolithic companies get taken on like not that I'm not you know, excited for a worker struggle at something small, like a collectivo or a voodoo donuts or something I am, but like these companies that loom large over our country, like Amazon and Starbucks that utterly need to be addressed, like immediately right now for everyone's sake is like, it, it's, it's, in the face of COVID and all the other bullshit of 2020 and 2021, it's been really great to see that people have banded together and been like, all right, we're going to finally start doing something about this shit.
2: Yeah. And we always tell people to go out and support the people if they're in the area, but there's more areas that Starbucks workers are organizing right now, including Boston, Knoxville, mm-hmm. Seattle, and Mesa, Arizona. So if you're by any of those places, it's probably worth looking up the Union Drive at your local Starbucks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, Speaking of banding together, I guess, yeah, I don't know, I don't it's, know about it, that one on this. It's, it's, it's hard to say se- it's hard to segue into this one. One of the, uh, I guess, darker things that we talked about this year was the unfortunate continued prevalence of slavery to exist in the world because of, you know, how the capitalist system runs. It focuses on getting the lowest labor costs it can possibly get for its raw material inputs. And what like lower price can you get than free?
0: Mhm. Um, yeah. And and yeah. so
1: on episodes 36, 37, 38, 40, 52, 55 and 79. Boy, that is too many episodes to be talking about this subject, yeah. but those are the ones that we focused on. Um there have been unfortunately quite a few stories and not just ones that we were pulling from previous years. Like this is stuff that is directly relevant right now. Like the first one that we talked about back in February was, you know, when we learned about this court case that was brought against essentially every major chocolate company in the world uh like pretty much all of them uh if if you you know are getting chocolate from a major company it, they're probably using slave labor because this this lawsuit was specifically about child slaves who had been brought from mali to the ivory coast with the promise of wages and then basically held with the threat of violence and, and and not paid for anything in order to produce cocoa at such a low price right that these giant Uh, chocolate conglomerates could make gigantic profits off of their chocolate while keeping the price relatively low.
2: Oh yeah. And I think that one of the main things that we want to take away from this is the kind of the conclusion that the courts came to on this particular topic, which is uh, it's the responsibility of those countries to do any of that regulation. And we're going to do absolutely nothing. Uh, We're not going to stop any of the companies in the U S from actually uh, benefiting from child slavery uh it is entirely up to those countries to do something to the companies like it's like oh it's out of our hands it's it's i don't know some fucking uh, it's deranged, is what it is.
0: Yeah, well, it's like very libertarian, right? Like, it's like, oh yeah, sure, you can profit off slavery, you just can't do it here. Except, you still can if you hire yeah. inmate labor. Or we there there was like a slave labor ring busted in Georgia recently. Yeah, that's yep.
2: the we're gonna. Uh, yeah, I think that that's one of the the last ones that we're gonna be hitting here because that was in our episode <laughs> seventy nine. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, like yeah, that that was a case of of I mean, we can just talk about it now. Like that was yeah. a case of literal migrant slavery in the US, mm-hmm. like where where f- this ring of of folks who ran a bunch of farms uh in in Georgia basically set out these these fraudulent like job listings and brought in all these migrants from Central America s- saying, yeah, hey, you know, it's it'll be like all the other you know, migrant jobs, you'll get super exploited, but we'll pay you more than, you know, neocolonialism allows you to make in the the country that you're originally from. Right. And then they just held these workers at gunpoint and essentially kidnapped them and forced them to dig up onions with their bare hands, as well as doing, you know, all sorts of other labor for no pay whatsoever. And then after a certain amount of time would just, like when their visas would expire, they would just send them back to, you know, across the border. And so it, w- it was good that this, this slavery ring got broken up, but I mean, when we were talking about it, it was the sort of thing where the, the justice department had identified, I believe a hundred of the victims, but they had thousands of visa applications. And so it's extremely, incredibly unlikely to the point of basically impossible that the workers who were exploited by this slavery ring are ever actually going to see uh, compensation, much less actually justice.
0: Oh my God. I know. know? Yeah. Won't even receive pay much less any kind of like, redress for the trauma of being forced to do slave labor at gunpoint and it also begs the question you know this is the slavery ring that got busted with how inept and probably also straight up complicit many police departments across the country likely are in this kind of thing it really is worrisome (laughs) relevant to how many of these might be out there that don't get busted and just fly under the radar for however many years yeah
2: yeah and uh i guess back to more international Mm -hmm. cases of of slavery that exists we went over the kafala system uh where workers in qatar are facing very like they get their passports taken and uh are are basically for lied they, they're lied to about how much they're going to get paid right and they they tr- they travel and then they're holding it in, at the very least indentured servitude yeah uh and where many die i mean it says uh, here in the notes it says uh 6,500 people have died since uh the world cup was awarded in 2010 to qatar
1: yeah so that's that's 650 people a year are have have died in this system just in Qatar and the kafala system is like we were using the the construction for the World Cup as the specific example of this right. because it's been one of the biggest industries that in recent years has used it but this is system is widespread throughout the various like monarchies in the middle east in in saudi arabia the uae oman like all all sorts of the 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 various like governments there that basically have just set up this underclass of at, as you said at best indentured servitudes largely migrants from southeast asia places like the philippines bangladesh um like uh Myanmar, like all, all all these sorts of places, all these countries
0: pro- that are major trading partners with the United States.
1: Well, right. Yes. No, of course. And, and, and that's the other thing is you will see things like when Biden had his fucking summit for democracy uh-huh. bringing in, and it's like talking about how the U S is defending democratic rights. Meanwhile, the U S is the single largest booster of every one of these countries right. that are that where their whole production system is based on
0: importing people to work in slave conditions. But But Dan, didn't Joe Biden sign a memorandum protesting human rights abuses somewhere? Was it <laughs> Xinjiang.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think we have uh time on this episode for me to go into all the, <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff on how, uh, uh, operation Gladio B works, but like, um, it's one guy. Yeah. That's Adrian
0: that, Zenz.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's the, the stuff about Xinjiang is entirely made up. That whole thing is a two pronged attempt by the United States to a Balkanize China and split it up the same way that mm-hmm. the USSR was broken up. And also as a stealth way of enacting tariffs on industries that the U.S. is getting out-competed by. And it also uh,
0: distracts from the horrific human rights abuses that serve U.S. Yes. empire in the places yeah. we're talking about that have things like the Kafala system or other indentured or bonded labor or whatever fucked up bureaucratic term they use for this shit.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the other things that we talked about was the rash of this sort of, like, Slavery type abuses in for domestic workers, mm-hmm. specifically, especially with Filipino workers, who make up about twenty five percent of the migrant like domestic worker market, which is huge because there are millions of these uh, these women, and it is almost entirely women uh, who are are brought in from other countries. Lar- again, the Philippines being the largest one to work as domestic workers, maids, like. Uh, g- caretakers that sort of thing in across the world i mean the uk us the middle east brazil are some of the biggest ones and it's rampant throughout this industry where that these women face you know abuse wage theft overwork sexual assault kidnapping pretty much every crime you can think of. And they have in most of these places, basically no legal recourse because they're not, you know, that's like you're on a temporary work visa. And so nobody there is going to provide you any services. And, and it's not just in what the, like, cause sometimes I think you'll see people be like, well, that happens in the middle East and that's terrible, but they're monarchies. It's like, that shit happens here too. Like right here in the United States. Like, it, it is not limited to the United States is, you know, junior partners in imperialism. It, it is absolutely happening right here
0: as well. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I guess like the, the last example that we had, we had discussed, uh, you know, besides the very recent breakup of that ring in Georgia was the continued existence of bonded labor right. in India, which is like really similar to the, the old style of like indentured servitude that we used to see here in the U S um, where you will have workers who go to a job site somewhere else and they're given they're they're said told they're going to be provided with housing, food, and the other necessities that they need to live away from home to do this job. And then they're, when they get there and they actually get that stuff that they need, they're then charged for it at massive markups that uh, coincidentally usually take up the vast majority, if not all of their salary getting to the point where basically you, you have these workers like having to put in insane hours just to earn the right to stay in the incredibly shitty housing they're provided and eat the incredibly overpriced food that they're given. And it functionally, you know, making these people indentured servants at best and, and, you know, slaves at worst in some cases mm-hmm. and, and bonded labor is technically illegal in India. It's been illegal there for almost 50 years, but in industries like silk production, it's still pretty rampant because just because you know the government in in a, especially in a lot of these like state governments tend to be pretty hand in glove with the industries that are using this labor, yep. and so those laws against this sort of thing are often not enforced.
2: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's most of what we've covered when it comes to modern day slavery. Uh, I'm sure it is. I mean, I guarantee it's not an exhaustive list. Uh, no. and we will continue to bring things up as, as they come to light to us, uh, and, and, uh, well, I mean, whenever we, we can uh, get to it. Yeah. Whenever but, we come uh, across
0: it. I mean, that's a big part of this show is we we're we're, we're not just telling you the ways that it gets better. We're also telling you the ways that it's worse than you thought. Uh um, yeah. Just marching around but, Switzerland like where did your chocolate come from motherfuckers, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, What's yeah. No, it's like chocolate. that. Goo- <laughs> yeah, it's like that goose yes. meme. What's that jacket stuff with? <laughs> exactly. But but speaking of India, going from an incredibly atrocious story right. to the single most inspiring labor story, I mean for me at least, I I think all year. Mm-hmm. Um we had the Indian farmer strike, which has been going on since, you know, well into the 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. and so to that point, we covered it on episodes and this is not an exhaustive list. Just the areas where, you know, there were bigger events, episodes, 30, 32, 46, 68, 71, 72 and 78. And, you know, this is like one of the biggest labor stories of the past really year and a half, almost two years at this Mm -hmm. point. And I think just globally, even, even outside the context of, you know, like we're a labor show, we're mostly talking about unions. I just think for the, the left and the greater working class movement as a whole, like one of the biggest things to draw inspiration from, to draw lessons from, to, to really see like how you do advanced class struggle, because like, as we saw, Like these protests that began in 2020 when the BJP government, the Modi's government led by, you know, a neo-fascist party announced uh, their planned three farm laws, which were basically going to apply neoliberal policies to the agriculture sector in India, making it really easy for big agribusiness to acquire land from small landowners and doing things like eliminating government support prices for like guaranteed prices for crops. And this was going to basically revolutionize in the bad way uh agricultural production in India. It was going to lead to things basically essentially pushing small farmers out of the ability to survive on their, you know, traditional farming. And rather than, you know, sit back and call their their government officials or you know complain about it these workers organized and not in the tens not in the hundreds not in even the thousands but in the millions of people and and like camped outside of new delhi as well as other major cities for over a year to protest this and, and continually ramping up their efforts, coming up with new tactics and And as the movement grew, gaining allies from outside of, you know, the farmers as well as gaining like working class allies amongst the Indian proletariat, even getting some members of like small shop owners mm-hmm. on their side and working with them. Like we had in the spring, we talked about tens of thousands of farmers occupying parts of New Delhi, including the storming of the red fort, which was an incredibly cool moment. There were like a ton of incredible videos of the farmers, like chasing the police out of the fort and, and stuff and like blockading roads with their tractors. Um, and you know, all through the year we saw all these different tactics. There was, uh, I mean, I guess a a little bit of a lull, at least in reporting, you know, during periods where the farmers in some cases had to, you know, actually go and do the farming and like harvest time and stuff. But the farmers never let up despite Modi repeatedly saying, start, you know, starting with the negotiating tactics of, Oh, we'll start a committee and we'll work with Mm -hmm. the farmers and look at their concerns. And then when they're like, yeah, okay, here's our demands. Repeal the fucking law. (laughs) Yes. Like, and then just being like, well, you know, these are the laws and we pass them and that's how it is to eventually. Well, what if, what if we just modified the laws and the farmers never let up they never like you know back down from their demands and they kept pressing and that was just really inspiring to watch all year yeah I mean they didn't even have to
0: ask for more than what they wanted to get what they wanted they just literally had to not give up and never accept a fucking compromise which like straight up I know like growing up your parents told you like compromise is when no one is happy it's like I'm still not happy to go (laughs) to work anyway so I better get the everything that I'm fucking demanding and like straight up props to the whole Indian farmers movement. Cause wasn't it also like the biggest organized labor movement possibly in the history of the world? <laughs> like
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, out, outside of the, like, I mean, actual like, sure, Chinese like revolution. Chinese like, revolution
0: might be the biggest yeah, one. Right. But yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe a few individual general strikes that, that lasted for like, you know, a couple of days. Sure. Sure. But but outside of that, as far as sustained movements like this, yeah, it's one of the biggest in history. Right. Absolutely yeah. incredible.
2: Yeah, I was really impressed with with all of these workers who, or all of these farmers and workers who have been out there, you know, holding solidarity with each other. And I mean, uh, last month the Modi finally gave in and mm-hmm. said he's going to repeal the laws. Now, you know, and if you're from the United States, you might be okay. So everybody went home. No, <laughs> no, they actually said, all right, well, we'll be here until you actually fucking do yeah,
0: it. Sounds good, but yeah, <laughs> let's see it. <laughs> and,
2: yeah. And they actually,
1: and they held to that. They kept their camps outside Delhi fully staffed with all the same folks until they actually went through the process and finished the legal job of repealing the laws. And only then when the laws were actually finally off the books, did they did they actually pack up and go home. But even after that, even after this incredible monumental victory, like that's the farmers movement isn't just, hooray, we did it. It's over. Let's go back to normal. Right. Because like they the, built the bonds the of workers- solidarity. Right. Exactly. Like the farmers and workers have seen like the power that you can get from that. So we've already seen the beginnings of like the next stages of the movement with like now that these laws have been repealed, you have all these farmers who are pressing for the state to actually finally codify the minimum support price. Basically, these like standard set prices that the government will buy crops from so that farmers can actually have stability year by year, like whether the, you know, there's good weather, whether there isn't, which is, you know, with climate change becoming even more of a concern than it historically has been. And, and so the, the farmers, while they have, you know, they, they won the fight to get their laws repealed. They have packed up the protest camps around new Delhi, like the farmers organizations are not demobilizing. Like they are, they are moving and continuing to push the class struggle forward. And so I think like, while it was an incredible victory to see and it was definitely like one of the most uplifting stories that we've reported on the victory over those those three farm laws i'm still excited to see you know how that movement continues to develop
2: yeah i think that you mentioned earlier like the ways in which this kind of uh consisted of a lot of groups coming together and i think that and and how actually building a movement and how to actually fight for power to win really is exemplified by the by the farmers strike and and if we, we we definitely went over it uh, in one of our more recent episodes about all of the different, you know, socialist parties and, right. and different unions. And if you really want to understand how to do a general strike, how to actually do a general strike, you this should be your modern like study. Like really, you gotta you gotta look really deep into not just like oh yeah, there was a a flyer that went out to ten million people and one million of them showed up. That's not how it works, right? You know, it's the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, they,
1: they didn't go on Twitter and tweet hashtag farmers protest uh, on on November fifteenth. We're all gonna do it, you guys, and like and then that's how they did it. Like that doesn't work. It's 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 the long, difficult person to person conversation process that they actually did. And so like I've posted in the Discord like right right after. There, the announcement that the farm laws are going to be repealed. A few like really good retrospectives from places like Tricontinental and some stuff from like Trolley Times. They really went into like the details on how they, they fought for that stuff. And so, I, I definitely recommend folks check that out or, or you know, just and also listen to some of our older episodes on it. But like,
2: oh, yeah, it,
1: it's, it, it's definitely, as you were saying, like it's a spot for us to learn from because the like, Trolley the Times is,
2: is an interesting one because I, though I could be wrong about this uh, because I, I'm not in, in the culture, it felt like that was was basically a workers newspaper that came out of the general strike and, it did, uh, it did it, it did yep. okay yeah and it, like basically it became the the publication that the workers uh got a lot of their information from and kept each other informed with in a very similar yeah. way to the the theory of what a solidarity union is not necessarily the practice in the united states of what a solidarity union is but you know if you are interested in solidarity unions you have to have a publication
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause, because like, I mean, how many times have we seen how the media will warp reality and, and, and to shape how workers think about things to try and discredit workers movements. Mm -hmm. And, and as we've discussed, you know, on some of our overtime episodes, like the nature of the state stuff where we talk about how ideological state apparatuses work, it's like, unless you have a proletarian or in this case or in a lot of, or, or a peasant, you know, type, um, outlet apparatus to counter that, mm-hmm. then if you don't control like, you know, how that media is produced, then it's going to get co-opted. And so like, yeah, that was one of the great things about like the trolley times was that it came directly out of the farmers movement. And so it was like basically, you know, by the farmers for the
0: farmers. Right. And it was, it was very cool to
2: be able to see that. So yeah, well, Don't let Reuters report your labor news. Yeah. Well, no. and,
0: <laughs> and another thing that the farmers movement really did uh, is they had a lot of like communal food like they got together and they fed each other and they took care of each other, like as a community. And there's a tradition of that that comes from Sikhism. That's popular among like, you know, all faiths and just the general community in and around India where like longars are a common thing. But like, I don't, I don't want to say that as if like it's meant to undersell the importance of it because getting together person to person, uh, as long as you're being, you know, COVID safe and everything, which these farmers were as far as anybody can tell, um, is like the best way to to get together and build solidarity and also like sharing food. There's a reason that like we use the phrase break bread to mean like start to making a, a real attempt to get along with someone because like sharing food with somebody it feels like you're connected to them in like a real tangible way and I think we forget that in a place like the United States where you know I don't know <laughs> we our idea of like sharing food is like, I packed you a sandwich. <laughs> yeah.
2: <Like> these are, <laughs> well, these
0: farmers the United are having States long- is
2: all, it's all circuses, no bread.
0: Oh uh, yeah. All circuses, no bread. Well, I mean these, these like long they get together and they cook like hot meals for hundreds or yeah. thousands of people at a time. It's like amazing. Well, I think
1: one of the other things that was so inspiring for me about that. And, and I think when we, to take away from it, As as something to give hope for, you know, organizing even here in the US is that like a big part of the way that Modi and his party, the BJP came to power was by pressing on ethnic and specifically religious divisions within the country. Basically his because his party is 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 oriented around Hindu supremacy and attacks on Muslims. And one of the things that the farmers movement consistently emphasized, and they were very explicit about this in their big meetings earlier, like uh, in the fall before their big general strike that they had was the necessity to fight that was to bring all the farmers, all the workers together on a class basis to overcome these, the, the, you know, false dichotomy to try to split up workers based on faith or ethnicity right. and to, to unite around their common class interests. And I think that, you know, obviously the class struggle is more advanced in, in India than it is here, but mm-hmm. I think that we have seen the potential, just the, the small amount of potential for that in places that, in the labor movement here in the U S like I'm thinking specifically of things like the warrior met strike Mm -hmm. where those, like you've got a a mix of black and white workers, like, you know, in the deep South who've been on strike for, I think nine months, maybe 10 months at this point. Yeah. 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 And, and you see this, there's plenty of, you know, different individual beliefs on whatever cultural political issue of the day is based on our, like, you know, media apparatus. but, there is that unity around the, you know, the material interests that the workers have. And so when you can see things like these big rallies that like the workers at Warrior Met had and like as we transition into our, our, our final you know, topic for the recap of the year, the big fall strike wave. I think we, you know, we've seen some inklings of this at other strikes in, in, in this year, too, because obviously like one of the, you know, the Indian the Indian farmers movement was the big labor story of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I think, at least in the U.S., the big labor story was, uh, for lack of a, a better you know sum up term, was Striketober was right was the big fall strike wave and you know whether or not it was actually a bigger wave or if it was more media coverage, it was still at least a combination of strikes at major you know U.S. businesses mm-hmm. at actual points of production, which we you know there aren't a whole lot of them left in the United States, uh, and actually for once getting media coverage actually getting labor issues in front of a broad audience and that really seemed to inspire a lot of support from all sorts of sectors right. and 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 so like i think that really just hits it like why we think it's so important to talk about labor and do this show and, and fight for you know unions as well as the socialist movement, because it's like, it can be really difficult sometimes when you watch the way that our political parties and their media apparatus spins people into a fucking frenzy to try and split, you know, white workers against black workers, Christian workers against other people, like uh, to, to, you know, straight workers against gay people or trans people. And that can be really disheartening because of how effective that, that bullshit can be. But one of the, like, like the, one of the big reasons why we fight for stuff like unions is not just because of, you know, the material interest, although that's all obviously there, but it's like that class unity is such a powerful tool in fighting back against that stuff. And we, I feel like we've seen example after example, after example of when you have folks who are struggling together on picket lines that can start to break through all of that like media programming and all the bullshit ways that the ruling class tries to split us apart. Yeah. And, and so I think that's one of the things that made, you know, strike Tober. So inspiring.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And more specifically, I mean, the companies that we were covering in this episode, 62, 65, 70, 72, 73, 75, 76, 77 were Frito, Lay, Nabisco, <laughs> Kellogg's Sold, and John baby. Deere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and the, which were some, some of the mo, the most powerful strikes that we've seen in the United States this year. Absolutely, uh, with John Deere workers of ten thousand workers out there on strike, uh, the Kellogg's workers who just recently uh, accepted the contract that that they uh, that was that the was tentatively agreed upon. Uh, yeah, I mean. I I don't know how much we want to go over the details of each of these strikes. We'll hit a little bit of it, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, there's this is pretty, pretty, pretty good stuff for as far as we can tell. With the declining labor struggle all the way up until about twenty twenty, all the way up into and including twenty twenty, because I think people were so blindsided by the pandemic that so many people were like, "Oh, we'll just push bargaining off for one year or whatever." And you know, sure, we were like, "Oh, it's probably a bad idea. This is a good time to build power." But uh, we did see that kind of uh, come to a um, where. You know, people actually were like, you know what, we do need to actually fight now coming in 2021, seeing some of the largest actions that we've seen in a decade.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like I it's like that meme where it's like, oh, you're still on Facebook. Isn't that just for old people? And it's like, I guess your friends aren't gay communists. Uh, but the difference is it's like, now it's like, oh, I guess the labor situation in the United States is pretty bleak, huh? And it's like, yeah, if you don't follow Jonah Furman on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the
1: things that was at least partially led to the like amount of media coverage beyond what we usually see with labor, because like, it's not the usual case that when we're looking for stuff on this show, it's fright, it's, it's front and center. It's on CNN. It's on NBC. It's on CBS. Right. Usually it's stuff that we're pulling out of, you know, for most people, obscure publications like labor notes and in these times, which are great, but not a lot of readership compared to the, the big stuff that gets in front of yeah. everybody. But <laughs> I think one of the
0: mint press news isn't on every newsstand in America. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, exactly. But I think one of the things that was so, that touched people and brought, you know, so much coverage and and support was finding out how ridiculous the working conditions faced by American workers in these manufacturing settings, especially in a lot of these BCTGM led strikes, were. Because at Frito Lay, at Nabisco, at Kellogg's, all of these food production companies, we had things like Workers facing these these two prongs that really made their lives so awful, which was mandatory overtime to an absolute insane level. Where you have workers talking about working not 60 hours, but 70 hours, 80 hours a week. Uh, having to work all seven days to the point where we had workers at multiple of these plants talking about having to work 100 plus consecutive days without a day off. And in pretty much every one of these cases, because of previous concessions in, in older contracts, these workers dealing with two tiered contract systems where you have these basically poison pill setups where the companies were able to get in previous contracts workers to basically agree to screw over future workers. And that was one of the things that was so inspiring about a lot of these strikes was seeing the workers come like, you know, because this is one of those things where, you you know, the media often, you know, portrays workers as being dumb and not really knowing what's going on and getting hoodwinked by, you know, the, the corporations, but. It's like, it, it didn't take, you know, outside influence to to tell these workers that these two-tier contract systems were fucked because we saw after interview, after interview, after interview, it was all these workers saying, we got to get rid of this two-tier system, and I don't care if, you know, I have to stay out on the picket line a little longer because I don't want, you know, the future workers to get fucked over by these.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, they, it's pretty apparent when Frito-Lay workers are stepping over dead bodies and uh, yeah. and, like... The uh, John Deere workers are out there saying, "We know exactly how much the fucking CEO makes. We we have those yeah. numbers right here. Like, not not we don't even need it on paper. I've got it memorized. Like, they yeah. these are not they, they're not these are not stupid people. <laughs> not that that even really exists, in my opinion. But yeah,
1: and it was also one of the funnier things I think during these strikes was always seeing what happened at these various facilities." When the companies tried to operate without their quote unquote unskilled workers Mm -hmm. where, you know, we saw things like engineers and managers at the John Deere plants, like the first day they tried to operate crashing tractors into (laughs) things and getting injured and like the workers at Kellogg's, the scabs that they brought in derailing a train. <laughs> I, d- I don't,
2: I don't fuck? think it's in our notes. The ice cream story with the, the machines that weren't cleaned and basically <laughs> oh, yeah. throwing out pallets and pallets of, of cakes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The ri- the rich product strike, which is still going on and support those. workers. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the John Deere one is the one that really gets me because who, who looks at a tractor and is like, yep, I'm just going to hop up there. Can't be that hard. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can definitely, you know, I, I'm like, I have an engineering degree. I can drive a combine harvester. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. This thing with, you know, this, that's like five times the size of a normal car and is full of spinning blades. Sure. It'll yeah. be easy. It'll be just like running an app. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so yeah, we're not going to, you know, break down what happened with each one of these strikes. Not, you know, none of them had necessarily the perfect outcome. There were issues with each one of the contracts that ended up getting, getting, uh, you know, accepted, but in every single one of those cases, the workers won significant gains. I know like in in the John Deere case, they won big wage increases in, in, in the, the Kellogg's one, they, they won, you know, benefit increases, they all sorts of things. So like these, and the other thing that was great about these strikes was seeing the rank-and-file upsurge against concessionary bargaining units. Because in pretty much all of these cases, you had tentative agreements that were originally agreed to by the union leadership, and they took it back to the workers, and they were like, what, the, what is this shit? No, this doesn't get what we demanded. Fuck you. right <laughs> And then, like, overwhelmingly voting them down and going back on strike for weeks and weeks at a time. And in every case— Every single one of the times they did that, they won a much better contract than the one that the bargaining unit originally wanted to, you know, sign up for. So I think as as a as like a, you know, as a barometer of where rank and file energy is in the country, the 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 energy from the strikes pushing back against shitty tentative agreements, and then things like the the one member, one vote vote in the UAW to get more democratic control Mm -hmm. and the teamsters for a democratic union supported teamsters reform slate winning in the teamsters. I think there's that, you know, there's some bright lights as as far as energy within the U S union movement going forward. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Oh,
2: Definitely. I, I'm actually I'm excited to to keep the show going uh, into the next year and, and see what, what sort of new actions are going to be happening in the in this coming year, because as we know, COVID is not going away and no, we yep. are going to see more and more people discontented. Uh, we're going to see more nurse strikes. We're going to see a lot. We're hopefully going to see more like uh Uh, like pharmacists and other sorts of like thing labor that was maybe previously. Oh, I mean, we talked kind of before the episode alluded to the, um, the blizzard Activision workers who are forming their union, like all of these sectors that maybe did not have a lot of, uh, worker potential or like collective potential previously, at least not seen, uh, are really coming out and seeing, and we're seeing like really people realizing that, you know, we're all fucked. Like we are all getting screwed over constantly, yeah. yeah. And and I I'm I'm optimistic that at the very least the struggle is going to intensify and become more cohesive. Uh, though you know that is going to require us all to get out there and fight every single day, and then organize people, talk to uh, different workers uh, in your workplace, or even just you know your families, uh, making sure that we're really really getting the message out there that like sure some unions have some problems but when we go out there and we fight for a rank and file movement where we are all where all of our voices are heard where we actually have a say in what goes on we will win right and we will destroy this fucking terrible system that is killing us
0: yeah yeah and yeah. rip up the Taft Hartley <laughs> Act while we're at it. That's <laughs> fucking right.
2: That's
1: right. That shit's gotta go. Yeah, President um, Truman, yeah, please
0: so- veto it. <laughs> 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 he did. It didn't work. Congress was like, we're passing it anyway. Uh
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, as far as like stuff that's gonna go on next year, I mean, I I I don't really know. I can't really follow up Lena's uh nice fiery uh call to action yeah. there. But I, I mean I do think we are gonna see at least like you mentioned, we're definitely going to see more nurses strikes. I don't know how that could ever be avoided considering how thrown under the bus they've been during the whole pandemic. I think we're in the same vein. We're definitely going to see more teachers strikes. I know there's a lot of bit major like public teachers contracts are up next year. So I think we're going to see a lot more, maybe, maybe a revival of the red for ed movement. Ooh, I think that would be, yeah, that'd right. be tight. <laughs> um, maybe a little more red than last time. Um, <laughs> But uh, like, I think another thing though, that is going to be really interesting to watch is because this was also the year of the supply chain. Right. Mm. And that's not changing. That's not going to get fixed in five minutes. Like, uh, I mean, like there's still insane lead times for so much, so much like many component parts for things that get made here. So I think it'll be really interesting, especially now that there's a more energetic leadership in the teamsters. Mm -hmm who have traditionally organized a lot of the workers in the supply chains, other than, you know, they, and along with like the ILWU, I like, I think that there's a really, some really fruitful like a uh, really fertile ground for more organizing there. So I think that's definitely going to be a sector to watch as well, because like we know how important, like for instance, truckers are. Mm-hmm. And we've also talked about plenty of times how fucked Truckers have been by the deregulation of that industry, the shift away from organized trucking and to the independent owner operator model and how that's like really a a trap for so many people. And I don't like now is the time like for for those folks to go back to the organized system. It's like you're never going to have more negotiating power, I think, personally, than than right now with the way that supply chains are fucked.
2: Yeah, truckers is a big thing. I actually see even some more mainstream uh, press, even if it's just small stories like they don't put out like major stories, but even like bigger press are putting out stories about, you know, work conditions for truckers and and things like mm -hmm. that. So, I mean, it's it's pretty apparent that it is a problem. And I think that there is a chance that we might at least see some form of more collectivization or more Teamster action, especially with the TDU being in in power at the the helm of the Teamsters right now.
0: Well, and we're seeing it emerge in industries that we've never seen it in before, like pharmacists, which we talked about recently, where there's like just organizing efforts popping up in unconventional industries across America. So I think that's pretty encouraging as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean uh, also I think that there's going to be a chance for us to see maybe some more organizing in tech. Mm-hmm. I know we had a few little upsurges here and there with like the Alphabet workers union at the beginning of the year but and things like the more recent the union drive in ABK. But even if those individual actions don't you know immediately lead to a, a giant union, I think we're seeing throughout the pandemic the a lot of these tech positions that have normally been, you know, considered more the upper crust of the working class, getting more and more proletarianized, like as, as more and more people have been in that field. And, and so those workers are able to be squeezed more and more and more and get compensated less and had been forced to work more and more insane hours. So even if those like couple of huge organizations don't necessarily get official NLRB uh, recognition. I think we're going to see a ton of more like upsurge within tech broadly, within video game or like companies within various, you know, uh, programming places and, and, and would, you know, all the other things that make up tech. I think that's definitely going to be a a spot to
2: watch in the next year. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll see some unionized Amazon places, right? Hell yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like I,
1: Yeah. I don't know if we'll see one in the U S like I said, but I, I think that that dam is going to break sooner rather than later, just because like there it's got to (laughs) like, I know nothing's inevitable. It, it, struggle is the only way this stuff's going to happen, but these workers are facing such incredibly shitty conditions that I think there's got to be a breakthrough somewhere, even if it just starts in say Canada.
0: Sure. Yeah even well, if it starts in a country that's just three oil companies in a trench coat <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: yeah well let's take our uh like weekly mandatory break that we that's tend right. to call the meme review <laughs>
0: that we call the amazon booth <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: right i've just cleared the pee bottles out it's their space now
0: finally Um, (laughs) speaking of toilet humor (laughs) our our first meme is just a a couple of sandwich boards at Aldi that say we're hiring and then instead of shift manager it says shit manager (laughs) 1750 (laughs) and ass. (laughs) ass. <laughs> 13, just, 10. just ass.
2: You know, if you go in there and you've got an ass, 1310.
0: That's 1310, buddy.
2: <laughs>
1: I feel, I mean, you know, they keep talking about how bad inflation is, but I really feel like that it should cost more like than 1310 for yeah.
0: ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that
1: seems far too low. If your
0: service is slow today, please be kind to the people who did show up to ass. Nobody wants to ass anymore. <laughs> That's right. Oh. I
1: mean, look, goofy sandwich board, uh, stuff like this, always an a plus, yes. you know, we love to see the hiring of shit managers for 1750 <laughs> an hour. If you like
0: shit like this, go to my Twitter at Facebook villain and check out the photo I just posted, <laughs> which I took with my phone today <laughs> where of, <laughs> of a uh, speedway name tag that says ass taint manager Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Well,
1: so this next one is so this is, this is an old this is an old format, mm-hmm. but this is my favorite usage of it, I think, that I've ever seen. Yeah. So it's it's it's, you know, the white guy who's like all excited at this woman walking by. He's clearly going up to like talk to her and and, and, and the woman is labeled workers and the, the guy is labeled management bullshit. And then in you know the second panel, he's he's intercepted by this black guy who's just labeled union. <laughs> because that is exactly what unions do when they fight for you is they get between you and management bullshit. Right.
2: I just love the look like, yeah, this is a slightly older meme. So people might be familiar with it, but the, the I just love the look on the guy's face in the first one. He's like, Oh, I'm definitely going to go, you know, do some management bullshit to these workers. And the union just gives them this, like, I'm stronger than you. Uh, yeah. or the, I, I yeah. know more than you. It's just like, and the guy's just like, Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, right. Just love that so yeah.
0: much. And then uh, we have a classic SpongeBob. Speaking of old meme formats, we're bringing back SpongeBob memes now. That's I actually right. had to leave a SpongeBob meme group on Facebook once because there was too much political drama, <laughs> straight up. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't invested in it or anything. I just found it annoying. But uh, so in this uh, comic, we have Plankton labeled leftists, which feels weirdly correct. Uh and he says, Tell him <laughs> off, SpongeBob. Assert yourself. And then SpongeBob is labeled liberals, pointing at this guy, labeled CEOs, and he says, That's my means of production. And Plankton's like, Great, now n- let him have it. And SpongeBob just says, You can have it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's from the ice cream scene with the eel and the Mm -hmm. ice cream cone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just love this one because it's so true. It's like, you know, the liberals sometimes listen to us and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? This does make sense. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, all right, now you have to give it to them. It's like, all right, you can have it. Right,
0: right. It's it's (laughs) like that other SpongeBob meme where like Patrick... Uh, can't read the thing written on something in his wall. I don't even remember what it's about because I've just seen it remixed in a meme a thousand times. But it's him just talking
2: like, to the supervillain guy. Yeah,
0: and the and the the supervillain guy would be leftist, and we'd be like, form a union, and he'd be like, form a union, and we'd be like get all of your other coworkers together, talk to them, sign cards, and start a union. And he's like, go to HR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, exactly. That's the thing, because you'll get the occasional liberal who's like, yeah, you know, I think workers, you do deserve more. And it's like, yeah, they, they're they the ones who do all the work. Yeah, they do do all the work. So they should run the company. So we should raise the minimum wage by a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, God, God damn it. so close. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, But
1: speaking of, uh, you know, problematic uh, structures within our society that don't actually do the good things that they're supposed to do this meme, uh, which is basically a, uh, 50s style <laughs> ad. Yeah. It's like an ad for, I guess like gadgets that are supposed to help around the house, the
2: washing and, machine, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the milk bottle cleaner.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's just got, but it's been completely changed. And so now the text reads philanthropy exists to launder the reputations of the rich and serves to replace public institutions with private ones. So you've, made billions exploiting workers, nature, and public resources, and you've bought off the entire government to make sure you won't be taxed. But for some strange reason, people seem to think you're Ooh. evil. Try giving a tiny portion of your stolen wealth to a cause that's hot right now, or start your own nonprofit to hoard your wealth the right Ooh. way. Now your reputation is clean, and you've saved even more on your taxes. Yeah.
0: Are you a wealthy billionaire from the United States? Tried doing something completely inscrutable, like carbon offsets in Africa. <laughs> Fa- start a foundation don't tell anyone what that foundation does <laughs> the foundation for american <laughs> peace i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah no
2: exactly uh, and then uh, our final meme of the meme review is an old industrial uh like an iww style meme which is like generally like kind of a, a it's a single frame and a guy looking down two roads it's very gray and uh that it's almost actually it reminds me a lot of the school bus meme that's been going around because the darkness is on the left and the, <laughs> and the brightness is oh, on the yeah. right and um and on on the left it says uh gar- what is it uh hold on what is craft it? unionism yeah craft unionism and uh says a fair day's pay for a fair day's work and that being the dark side. And then uh and then on the right side is industrial unionism. And then it's like abolish the wage system. Hell yeah. And then <laughs> the working class is the guy making the decision. And and if you're in the working class, you know, it's about time to make that decision.
0: Yeah. That's right. I mean, uh, COVID and everything has really highlighted this, but uh I think I've been consistent my entire life in the messaging of uh, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this
1: one really, it reminds me of like some of the messaging that always frustrated me about the, like the Bernie campaign, Mm -hmm. whatever it was like, you know, no one working a full time job should have to worry about being bankrupted by medical bills. I'm like, Bernie, nobody, whether they're working full time or whether they're working at all should have to worry about being bankrupted by medical bills, because the concept of being bankrupted by medical bills is insane. Yeah. Well,
0: I'll take it one step further. Bernie, no one should have to be working a full-time job. <laughs> That's we live, right. We live in a technological civilization that could easily be sustained by, like, six hours of work a week from everyone involved, and yet we fucking do this.
1: No, it's very important <laughs> to do all our value-added labor of spreadsheets engineering and like you know uh calling up people and begging for money and calling that you know the struggle if you're in an NGO <laughs> yeah oh yeah <No. laughs> well,
2: well all right let's let's wrap there <laughs> <All> uh, <right. laughs> we want to thank you all so much for listening and uh, if you want to support us, you want to hear our new Patreon episode, we're going to be doing a series about the repressive state apparatus and the ways that it has manifested throughout history and the ways that it's manifesting today. At least the, our first one is kind of about that. And then we're going to go over a lot more stuff in the coming three episodes or so or something like that. No, uh, no promises you know, because... as to
0: how many episodes it will actually take to cover everything in the notes. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Question mark, question mark, question mark. What? One of, question mark. (laughs) Anyway, uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It really helps us get this show going and you get that awesome content. Join us in the Discord. It does not require a Patreon subscription. The link is in the description. In fact, I think we're going to try to timestamp at least the sections on this episode so it's easier to to share with people. Uh, But uh, if you want to share it with people... Maybe do it by putting a five-star review somewhere. You know, spray paint a five-star review on your local police department. That's Uh, right. I'm sorry. I'm not, I think if we just talked about how I need, to, <laughs> we need to be careful. Disclaimer: always, Do
1: not actually do, yeah, that. do that. That is not actual <laughs> advice from Workstop. This but, is a humorous uh, joke.
2: That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Workstoppage Pod, and listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table, and we will see you next year. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest solidarity forever
0: solidarity forever
2: solidarity everybody here's my Christmas song
0: (laughs) sorry I had a last minute thing too I think I said animal collective is from Canada but they're not they're from Maryland I looked it up I'm sorry Canada my bad
2: (laughs) (laughs) here's my Christmas song